Hey, I'm Bruce Weinstein, and this is the podcast Cooking with Bruce and Mark. And I'm Mark Scarborough, and together with Bruce, we have written over three dozen cookbooks with more in the making, including the absolute smash best-selling Instant Pot Bible and Instant Pot Bible copycat recipes. We love Costco. We love BJ. We love the big box stores. And those books have sold amazing at those big box stores, which we are thrilled about. We're going to talk a little bit about pressure cooking in this episode of the podcast. We're going to talk about how to get over some cooking obstacles. We have a one-minute cooking tip, as is traditional. Bruce has an interview with Stacey Mayan Fong. She is the author of 50 Pies, 50 States, a book that's actually getting tons of play right now. And, of course, as always, we'll tell you what's making us happy in food this week. So let's get started. There are a lot of reasons people don't cook, right? A lot. And the biggest problem from not cooking is you eat more fast food, you eat less than healthy meals, and it it is just not good for your wallet. It's not good for your body. Do you know that the fast food intake of the average person is really high pre-age 25. You probably already could figure that one out. But it's really high pre-age 25. And then it actually starts to fall. Of We're talking big chain fast food places. It starts to fall. And then it starts to pick up dramatic speed for people over 70. Well, that makes sense. I mean, look at your mom and your dad yep. before your dad died. I yep. mean, your parents were in their early 80s. And your mom really didn't feel she like cooking quit anymore. Cooking. Yep. And so what were they going to do they went out and got, got fried chicken from the drive-through window and they got taco of, bell a lot of taco bell a lot of wendy's a lot <laughs> yeah, of your taco mom bell loves taco bell and loves wendy's bacon <laughs> cheeseburger something i don't even and, know hey she's 90 years old so clearly it's not doing her any <laughs> bad stuff she's going on 91 yes <laughs> but anyway yes that is the way the fast food works out but you know a lot of people end up ordering in in big cities using the services like doordash or uber eats to mm-hmm. order in um, a lot, there's a lot of that that goes on because people don't have time to cook. And let me tell you that I am completely sympathetic to this. If you don't know, I am the writer in our team and Bruce is the chef. And I do not fix dinner almost ever in our household. And if it were left to me to fix us dinner, we'd be eating a lot of cheese and crackers. <laughs> Which is um, not a bad thing. But I do like lot. to make dinner. And there are lots of times that I wish I could even go get something to eat. And we live very rurally, and there's really nothing except pizza, so we don't eat much no, from and, a fast food. And I should just add that we live in such a rural spot in New England. Sorry, this is just really self-indulgent, but so rurally in New England that to get pizza means we drive to the pizza place. No yeah. pizza place no. will deliver to us. That's how rural we are. I will say, however, that the fried chicken at the Big Y supermarket <laughs> is really oh, good, and I throw it in the air fryer, and it gets oh. re-crisp. But that, I'm still cooking. So even yeah. though I buy the fried chicken at the supermarket, I'm still cooking. So here's here's some of the problems is lack of time. And mm. one of the solutions is one that has come on big time in the last decade, and that is prepped vegetables. Mm-hmm. And as you know, most supermarkets now from Whole Foods down to your local supermarket – all stock, completely prepped vegetables, cut onions, cut celery, cut uh, carrots. Now, let me tell you something. What there is about this is a lot of food waste. And I don't mean on the supermarket end. I mean on the consumer end. People get these things home, these containers of chopped celery, and they can't use it all before it goes waggly. So 
buy yourself some freezer bags and freeze the remainder. Oh, that's a really good idea. And it started out with mostly what you would find are like the spiralized vegetables. And you yep. can still find them and they're wonderful. Oh, yeah. You get you get the butternut squash and the beets and the that's carrots. That's what we had all... for my birthday. Mm-hmm. My birthday was back last month in June and oh, I asked for uh, for us to split a porterhouse, which we did. We love splitting a porterhouse because basically I eat the bone and Bruce eats the meat. And so we <laughs> Jack Spratt. And, and it's true. And um, I asked for spiralized butternut squash in a chili crisp vinaigrette to go with it. And, and you had it. I did. And it was delicious. And the spiralized stuff was what was out there. You could still get it. But I remember when we lived in New York, and this was, you could just begin to get the stuff in supermarkets. But at Italy, the giant, yeah, yeah. E, you know, the Italian food warehouse with restaurants and right. stores, everything in it in New York, they actually had a vegetable concierge and you could go buy vegetables at any of the vendors they did and drop it off with the concierge and they would do whatever you wanted with it okay this is not giving average listeners guides to how to how to deal with vegetables no because because if you don't have time you don't have time to go to Italy no yeah (laughs) and also it's a little bit expensive so let me say this if you don't know, pressure cookers do cook things much more quickly. And one of the things we've learned, because we have now written, what, five pressure cooker books, all Something for the like Instant that. Pot, kind of crazy. But one of the things that we learned is the promise of the Instant Pot is that you put everything in it, you put the lid on it, you set the time, and when it's done, no matter how you do the release, you open the lid and it's dinner. And what people we've discovered, readers, resist is doing other things, like taking the lid off and then taking the meat out and then crisping it under a broiler and boiling down the sauce. This is what people don't want to do. They want to take the lid off and see their dinner. Well, part of it is if you don't have the time, you don't want to take the time. But the nice thing about cooking in the pressure cooker or the Instant Pot is you don't always have to do that. You can make risotto, a delicious, creamy, cheesy, butternut squash, mushroom, you name it, risotto, seven minutes, no stirring, nothing to do after you take the lid off. And let me make a shameless plug here on the podcast for our book, The Kitchen Shortcut Bible, because we have a whole set of recipes in The Kitchen Shortcut Bible that are essentially pre-made slow cooker stews. And what I mean by that is you take all the ingredients for a slow cooker braiser stew you put it in a big gallon sized plastic bag. You shove that bag sealed up in the freezer. Then when you're ready, you simply, you don't defrost it. You pour it frozen. You chip it out of that bag, tear the bag off, whatever you need to do. You get it in the slow cooker. You put the lid on and eight hours later at the end of the day, it's dinner. So you can kind of prep this on the weekends mm-hmm. and make big bags of braises and stews. That way you don't have to worry about having time in the morning before you leave the house to go to work or run right. your errands or do whatever right. you're doing that. One of the other big problems that people have with cooking is they don't do it because they hate the mess. Yeah. Now, uh, I do. I, I hate the mess. You know what? I, I made smash burgers for dinner last night. Oh, talk about a mess. And they got bought super fatty ground beef from a Whole Foods, and it was a mess. It splattered everywhere. There was grease splatters on the backsplash on the refrigerator. Our house like a cheap diner. The house still smells like a cheap diner. <laughs> <laughs> and yeah, it was a mess. So I understand you don't want to do that. So don't right. make smash burgers. Make one pot dinners, right? You can make one pot dinner. You could take a jar of marinara sauce yeah. and you could throw frozen meatballs in it yeah. in a pot. And you could even 
get this, throw the raw ziti in there with like a quart of chicken stock and it'll all cook together that, and the ziti will absorb it. That's another shameless plug for <laughs> our book, The Kitchen Shortcut Bible, because yep. we have recipes in The Kitchen Shortcut Bible for, one, let's say, one pot chili yep. mac. Yep. And it's the pasta and the chili and everything in the pot at the same time on the stove. And there are a ton of one pot cookbooks out there. I interviewed Kwaklin Wan a few months yeah, back. That's right. He's an Asian chef in the UK. And he just wrote a book this year called One Walk, One Pot. And his recipes are just so lovely and comforting and delicious. So so I want to forward us a little bit. And it it was great. And Mm -hmm. you're right about all that. But one of Bruce's suggestions, and this just (laughs) kills me about if you hate the mess, is invite a friend over Mm -hmm. and tell them that you will make your friend dinner if your friend cleans up. I know. We have friends who would do that. I would never take that deal. No, but we do have friends who would do that. Really? Oh, I'm not going to name them because they're probably listening. Okay, wait. So I'm going to stop and mm-hmm. say that you are super type A controlling. So you would let someone clean up Absolutely your not. pots. But, the, but <laughs> if you're the kind of person who would, then you should invite friends over to do you that. You would no more let no. anyone clean your pots. But I'm not not cooking because I'm afraid of the mess. I'm the one who made the smash burgers yeah. and then cleaned them up. Yeah, I know. I, I can't imagine this one. I can't because it's so, uh, what do I want to say, disheartening. Now, I have to tell you that Bruce and I have a system for cleaning. You probably know this, but we throw big, huge, giant dinner parties, multi-coursed, plated, like a restaurant. Plates. It makes the smash burgers look like it's clean. And we have plates <laughs> go down on the table. We serve it like restaurants, fur from the right, and I don't know what all oh, wait serve from the left right and clean from the right or something anyway i mean we really do we put the plates down simultaneously we do the entire big fandango and these are multi-course affairs but we always say that uh since we live so rurally that we're essentially in bed before our friends get home because maybe they have a 40-minute drive. And we have a whole system, and the system involves how the table gets cleared, and it involves who washes and who dries and blah, 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 blah. And it goes really fast to have a system. And I'm not going to actually go into all the details of our system because I think you have to make a system that's idiosyncratic to you. For example, um, let me just say one thing is that I don't clean pots till the end. So I find that pots in the sink are disheartening. (laughs) They Um, also take up a lot of room. I know, and I find it just disheartening to have a big pot in the sink, and I'm cleaning that and looking at a counter full of plates and glassware. So I get rid of the plates and glassware first because it makes me feel as if there's less to do by the time I get to the pots. More important is you run the dishwasher in the middle of dinner. I do. And I know a lot of people don't like to do that because their dishwashers are loud, but we bought a new dishwasher that is so quiet that we could run it. You don't even know it's going. Also, we don't live in an open, well, we did live in an open concept home, but we've made it a closed concept (laughs) home. So we have a door on our dining room and uh, we can't hear, I mean, you know, we we can't hear it from the dining room because we close it off. But that saves so much time and so much mess when you do that. So when Mark clears a course away, he loads the dishwasher, even if it's half full, he runs it. So that way, after dinner, when everyone leaves, we empty it and we can fill it all back up again if and it's very half little full, to do by hand. I, yeah. If it's half full, I run it on a quick uh, light wash cycle. 
And, you know, I just spread the plates out and I spread the glasses out so that there's plenty of water can get between them on a fast cycle. And I just I, I do that. And then, you know, it's really easy suddenly because mm-hmm. some of the dishes are taken care of. This is all part of the problem of mess and why people don't cook for themselves. But they also don't cook for themselves because they don't like shopping. What's wrong with people? I have to, shopping is the best part of cooking. <laughs> uh, I love supermarkets. I love going down every aisle. I like looking at new things. Oh, I God. find a new pasta, a new sugar, a new nut, a new something I that I never saw that. before. I have to say that when we travel, Bruce goes to supermarkets as like, a destination. You go to them like <laughs> it's a museum. You can learn so much about a place by seeing what people buy to eat. It's wow. great. And I do that yeah. not just when we go to Europe or we go to South America. I do that when we go to the South or we go out West or we go to the Pacific it's Northwest. True. I mean, it's no matter true. where we go, but I love shopping. If you don't like shopping, then buy your food online, have it delivered, have someone else send it for you or use meal planning you know, services and have your meals delivered to you. You could still cook them, but you don't have to go shopping. So there are so many ways around shopping. And uh, yeah, it's true. You can see this and it's really wild to watch like the difference in fresh fish, all those kind of things. And then to have it delivered too. Yeah, why not? Always a kind of an amazing Something thing. we live too rurally for, but I like to go shopping, so it's a good thing. And if you don't know how to cook, of course, we're going to say that you should buy cookbooks. Of course, you know that. You should but buy our cookbooks. They, of course. And you know I'm going to tell you to watch our TikTok channel, Cooking with Bruce and Mark, and you know I'm going to tell you that there's more to us than just this podcast, their books and all that. But there are actually other sources, and one of them is craftsy.com, C-R-A-F-T-S-Y.com. There are tons of cooking classes there. Another one is called Chef steps. There are lots of places where you can learn the basics of cooking. In fact, Bruce has basically upped his game with Szechuan food Mm. by watching a ton of YouTube channels. I have fallen in love with these two. It's Amanda. Her name is Amanda. Don't know her last name. She lives in the UK. She's Chinese. And it's Amanda Tastes is the name of her YouTube channel. And then The Taste Show with Chef John, who is a Sichuan chef. I have learned so much from them and upped my Sichuan game. So You you can too. Yeah, it's it's a great resource. Thank gosh for these things. I know a lot of cookbook authors get really mad at the internet because it is so cut into book sales, which it has. Listen, there's no doubt about that. But there's another way that it's kind of fantastic because you can learn so much. You can learn anything. By watching very obscure preparations of you know some hand Szechuan hand meat pie, mm-hmm. and you can learn so much about how to actually shape it and form it. Better, dare I say it, as the writer, better even than you could by reading instructions in a cookbook. Well, one of the things that helps with cookbooks is when they have lots of pictures. Of course. And we are going to talk in another episode about a new book we have coming out with a ton of pictures, our Look and Cook Air Fryer Bible with 700 photographs so you could see what things look like as you cut them, shape them, and bread them. So. You can go to YouTube and see some of that, or you can get a book like our upcoming Look and Cook, and then you could do it that way. Up next, as is traditional, our one-minute cooking tip. Replace your salt shaker with a salt cellar. Salt cellar is basically <laughs> it's just a fancy word for a little bowl. A salt with cellar? A... You mean a guy that comes in your kitchen and sells you salt every <laughs> day? C-E-L-L-A-R. Because it is easier to throw in a pinch or two while cooking. If you just grab it, you just reach your hand into that salt cellar. Get rid of the salt shaker. If it's humid, you're not going to get anything out of it. It gets clogged up, and yeah. you just... You can't even 
get a sense of how much is coming out. So right. don't keep a salt shaker by your stove. Get a salt cellar. It is it is really crucial. And it, you know, I mean, it's easy to it's easier at least for me to know how much salt I'm putting on. Let's say my avocado on avocado toast. Mm-hmm. If I pick it up with my hands and sprinkle it on, I see it exactly going on, and I can control the salt content better. Okay. Before we get to the next segment of the show, let me tell you that it would be great if you could rate the show, if you could subscribe to it. That way, you will get it every week. Thank you very much for doing that. We certainly appreciate that in the vast landscape of food and cooking podcasts. Thank you so much for supporting ours and being a part of it. We see the likes and the comments that come through, for example, on Apple Podcasts, and they really honestly give us motivation to keep going. So thank you so much for doing that. Up next, Bruce's interview with Stacey Mayan Fong. She is the author of 50 Pies, 50 States. This is a book that's getting a ton of play right now. And it is so amazing that Bruce landed this interview on this podcast, Cooking with Bruce and Mark. Today, I'm having a lot of fun speaking with Stacey Mayan Fong, author of 50 Pies, 50 States, an immigrant's love letter to the United States through pie. Welcome, Stacey. Hey, thank you so much for having me. I'm so happy to be here. Hey, you start your book with two simple yet deep questions. They are, where are you from and where do you call home? So tell me how these questions informed your journey to write 50 Pies, 50 States. So I basically started the project because I was trying to figure out like what home really meant to me. Um, I was born in Singapore, grew up in Indonesia and Hong Kong, and then decided to um, go to college in Savannah, Georgia. So (laughs) a real journey. And when I moved to the States, um, all my friends would go home during the holidays to like the house that they grew up in. They could see their same bedroom that they had when they were like 16 years old, like before they left for college. And because I moved around so much as a kid, like I didn't really have that. And even when we were living in Hong Kong, we moved apartments and houses a lot as well because of my dad's job. So I was trying to figure out like what home really meant to me. Like when you grow up, you're kind of taught like home is your house where your family is, right? Like that is home. But what I've come to realize through baking all these pies and my time in America is that home really is just a mindset and about like who you surround yourself with and like how comfortable you feel with yourself is like when you feel the most at home. And I kind of got to do that exploration in the most delicious way. And what I've learned is that everybody loves pie. And even if you have like a funny story where like you baked a pie and everything went to shit, like it's still a funny story and everybody still talks about it. It's like kind of the most like tender and wholesome thing because like even bad pie is good, but like bad cake is terrible, you know? (laughs) Hey, you offer up a few pies before you begin your journey across the U.S., pies that represent your childhood and the places you grew up, like the vivid green padan cream pie. Tell me about that. Basically, when I started the project, I just baked through all the 50 pies. But when I was putting together the book, I thought it'd be really important for people to like get to know me first to understand like why I was baking the 50 pies. Mm-hmm. So I decided that I was going to bake a pie for Singapore, where I was born, Indonesia, where I grew up, and then Hong Kong, where I lived as well. Um, and then also a pie for Savannah, where I went to college, and then Brooklyn, where I live now. Mm-hmm. And so it's kind of like, you know, 
going on four dates with me before you decide if you would like to be in a relationship for the rest of the 50, you know? <laughs> so tell me about the vivid green cream pie. It looks amazing. Pandan is a flavor that's very common in Singapore. It's kind of like, it's a green leaf that makes this like beautiful neon green color, like naturally. And it's got kind of like a floral coconut kind of flavor. And it's a very important flavor for me growing up because there's this one bakery in Singapore called Bungawan Solo. And every time we would go back to Singapore to visit my grandparents and my family, my dad would buy this pandan chiffon cake. And it's like comes in this tall red box and we would carry it on the plane back to Hong Kong. And I was always so annoyed that I had to carry this big box, but so happy that I had it for breakfast the next day when we got home and just kind of like that taste and set memory. And then also for the pie, I decided to take a play on a graham cracker crust. And I did it with Kongguan um, cream crackers, which Kongguan's this like, um, it's kind of, I would say like the Nabisco of Singapore. And my grandpa growing up, he was my best friend. He has since passed, but he would feed me these Kongguan biscuits all the time whenever I went to his house, mostly because, you know, snacks, but also because he needed me to stop talking to him because I would come and visit and I would just tell him all the hot toddler goss from my kindergarten in Singapore and I would just talk his ear off. So he would just feed me these crackers to make me shut up, but also because he loved me. So I thought I would combine all of those into a little pie for Singapore. That's a great story. So let's go on one more of those dates with you before we get to your American pies. I love that the pies are sweet and savory. There's a savory Hong Kong style macaroni pie. What is that? And how is a pie made with overcooked macaroni and spam so comforting and delicious? So in Hong Kong, there are these, I would say they're like Hong Kong style diners called Chan Chan Tangs. And basically some of the items on the menu, it's like people in Hong Kong's take on Western cuisine. So there's this one, like when you enter a Chan Chan Tang, you order you get eggs, you tell them how you would like their your eggs, and then you tell them how you'd like your coffee or your tea, and then you order your actual meal. So there's like deep fried French toast, or my favorite is this macaroni soup. And there's no such thing as al dente. The macaroni is hammered. It is so soft, but it's so, so delicious. And it's basically like cream of chicken soup and broth, macaroni, like um, those like little square carrots, peas and corn that you get in a frozen bag and then either spam or ham. And it's kind of like the most like comforting way to start your day. And I thought it'd be really funny to like put it into pie form. So it's like kind of a mix between like a quiche and this, this macaroni soup. And because like pie is very comforting in America and the soup is very comforting to me. So it's like a combination of the two of them. As we go through the states alphabetically in your book, we get not only a delicious recipe for each one, but a little taste of history and trivia. So you clearly did a lot of research on the US to write this book. What was the most surprising fact you discovered about any one state? I feel like it's not really a fact. It's more like when I got to South Dakota, I was like really stumped at what I was going to do. And because the universe does wonderful things, my buddy, Matt, who got the Massachusetts pie, he had just done a graphic design project for a bunch of historians that um, their focus was in the Black Hills in South Dakota and Native Americans. And I thought, oh my gosh, like I should talk to them. So I ended up emailing Eric and Eric um, gets the pie in the book. 
And Eric invited me out to South Dakota. So I ended up flying out to South Dakota to meet him. And Eric introduced me to Sean Sherman, the sous chef. And I read his cookbook cover to cover. And that really inspired me for the flavors of that pie. And so for the South Dakota pie, I did a sunflower milk and wild rice pudding pie with a bergamot and berry tooth sweet. And then like a crunchy maple pepita crunch on top with a blue corn crust and all of that is inspired by Native American cuisine, which is something that you don't really see a lot in mm. the United States, which I think is kind of crazy because like, you know, you could get like Sichuan food and Korean food and Chinese food and Mexican food and like all these different cuisines. Like why isn't there more like Native American restaurants where you can try different forms of Native American cuisines? It should be as common. And it was like, it's so seasonal, it's textural, it's so wonderful that like, yeah, I just... For the small amount of knowledge I know about it now, I just want to go fully deep dive into it. What's intriguing to me is your pie from Iowa, a sour cream raisin pie, a meringue top beauty from a state where I might have expected you would go with something corn based. So you didn't. Tell me about this pie and why you chose it to represent Iowa. So it originated in Iowa from like, I believe like German immigrants. And I actually learned this from someone that I met in an Uber pool named Jane. She ended up getting the North Dakota pie because she's from North Dakota, but she told me all about like the origins of sour cream and raisin pie, which in theory sounds kind of gross, but it's actually really delicious. But this is also coming from a girl whose favorite ice cream flavor is rum raisin. And I was six years old. So who knows what I was doing, but it's kind of like this beautiful mingling of like flavors that are very common in Europe that were brought over to the United States and like reinterpreted. And the thing like something that's preserved under a meringue top, like it stays fresher for longer because the air is trapped inside of it. So it's like the thing with pie is that even during times of like seasonal depression, like people have always tried to keep pie on the table. And that's how like the sour cream and raisin pie came about was mm. so that they could have pie in the winter months using like dried fruit and different custard things instead of fresh fruit. Wild blueberries, which are some of the best things to come from Maine. I am thrilled that your recipe for wild blueberry and moxie pie says frozen berries are just fine because it's often hard to find wild blueberries. But let's talk about the other ingredient, moxie. For those unfamiliar with it, what is it and how do you use it in a pie? One of the coolest parts about America is there's so many like regional sodas. And I mean, I did learn about this because of going to Cracker Barrel while going to college in the South. But what I found so cool about moxie is that it never really passed the Northeast. Like it's a very like concentrated, like Massachusetts, New Hampshire, Maine, that area. And I would say it's like the flavor profile is kind of like a bitter root beer. I'm someone that like loves like an Amaro or an aperitif. And it's kind of like the soda version of that. Mm -hmm. And so I thought it'd be really cool to like counteract kind of the sweet tartness of a wild blueberry with something that's like a little more bitter and herbaceous. So I reduced um, the moxie down to a syrup, which I thought would be pretty nice way to like flavor the rest of the pie. Mm -hmm. And yeah, I think frozen blueberries are totally fine. Like most of the time when fruits are frozen, especially Wyman, that's my favorite frozen brand of fruit. Like they are frozen at like the peak of freshness and like the peak of flavor. And sometimes you can't get that like from a fresh blueberry, like half of it might be like too hot or something. And so they're like a little moldy, like frozen fruit is fine. Like home, like store-bought pie crust is fine too. 
There's a whimsical pie in your book that is so satisfying to look at even the photo and the recipe. It's from Nevada. Tell me about the all-you-can-eat buffet pie. So for Nevada, I was really stumped at what I could do to represent a state as grand as Nevada. So I thought that I would focus on the Nevada that I knew, and that was Vegas. So my dad used to work in the hotel industry. So uh, me and my sisters went on a business trip with him to Las Vegas. And it was just like seeing everything in excess. Like, you know, we grew up in Singapore and Hong Kong. Everything's like smaller, like fridges are smaller, apartments are smaller. And everything in America just seems so vast and wide. And the thing that I thought was so wild was the all-you-can-eat buffet. And the buffet was um, invented in Nevada, which is pretty cool too. And so I thought it'd be really fun if I challenged myself and made an all-you-can-eat eat buffet into a pie. So, and I literally was just like staring at my kitchen and I looked at my cornbread pan. It's like a large cast iron cornbread pan where it's like divided into eight. And I was like, oh, like half of it could be savory, half it could be sweet. And then I was like, okay, I'm going to look at the all you can eat buffet menus of every single um, major casino on the strip. And then I wrote down like the common denominators between each one. And so when I blind baked the crust, the crust became like little pie compartments that I could fill. So on the savory side, it's an herb crust and it goes shrimp cocktail, Caesar salad, crab legs, and then steak and mashed potatoes. And then on the sweet side, it's an all butter crust and it's um, cheesecake, chocolate mousse, an ice cream sundae and a fruit tart. And it's like one of those things where like when you're in Vegas, like you do get to have your pie needed to. And I wanted to kind of like have a funny play on that, like in pie form. You could make that pie for a dinner party and it's like all the courses all the Exactly. <laughs> exactly. It's it's your own little pie tasting menu. You have everything from pulled pork pie from North Carolina to wild rice pudding pie from South Dakota. What advice do you have for someone who's about to use your book and make their very first pie? I think start with your state if you want to, or honestly, you can do what I did when I started the project and do it in Betsy Ross style and start with the flag. <laughs> That's kind of a nice place for you to begin. And yeah, like my advice is just if making the crust stresses you out, then buy a store-bought crust and focus on the filling. It's kind of like compartmentalizing your thoughts to make them as digestible as possible. Yeah, I love that you are willing and encourage people, if necessary, use frozen fruit, use a pre-made crust, but to explore the entire country full of pie fillings from sweet to savory that you have in your book. Stacey Mayang Fong, author of 50 Pies, 50 States, and Immigrants' Love Letter to the United States Through Pie. Great good luck with the book, and thank you for sharing some of your insight with me this morning. Thank you so much. This is a very wonderful way to start my day. I bet you she gets a lot of pushback about people saying, oh, I'm from Iowa, and that's not my pie, or oh, well, she I'm did. From... She had to choose something that represented the state. Well, she chose a person. Each state yeah. has a person, and then that person influenced yeah. her pie, yeah. and some of them are really interesting. I mean, I mean, you know, my grandmother was from Oklahoma, and my grandmother made the world's best lemon meringue pie, and yeah. so I think of Oklahoma and lemon meringue pie, but I know that most people don't make that connection. <laughs> no, they so... don't. That's your personal idiosyncrasy. It is. He's totally my personal idiosyncrasy. <laughs> and I think about my grandmother's lemon meringue pie. And to me, that's Oklahoma. But 
I guess there would be a lot of pushback in this because there are a lot of pies that are running around. There are, but so many of them were just so original, like her all-you-can-eat buffet pie from Nevada. <laughs> it's like, wow. <laughs> God, that's the old days. I remember being a college student going to Las Vegas before I'd go hiking with friends out in Utah. This is really a million years ago. And we would stay at the cheap Las Vegas hotels back in the day when Las Vegas hotels were cheap. There still are some, but you don't want to stay you there. You don't want to stay in them. Mm-hmm. Now they're ex- Circus, circus. Oh, my God. You can get a room for $19. Oh. Anyway, <laughs> they were cheap back in the day. They were all cheap, even the fancy ones. And the buffets were always free. Now, like at the Bellagio, the buffets are- Oh, it's ex- like 50, 60, yeah, 70 bucks? Yeah, really yeah. expensive. And we would go and carb load before we went hiking at the free buffets. <laughs> so very funny, the buffet pie, all-you-can-eat buffet pie. Up next, as is traditional, the answer to the question, what is making us happy in food this week? Hunan preserved mushrooms. <laughs> and we are having steamed silken tofu that is going to be covered in a spicy sauce of Hunan preserved mushrooms <laughs> and my homemade chili oil <laughs> and ginger and scallions. Oh, I'll let you know how that goes. Mm-hmm. I, I think it, it's the same thing for me, in it, believe it or not. Um, Bruce made a dish the other day with spicy preserved Urjing Tao chilies. Mm. And those Urjing Tao chilies are amazing. I made a pork and cabbage dish with the preserved Urjing Tao chilies, and they are hot. Ooh, they are hot and spicy and sour and preserved tasting, a little rotty. Yeah, just that, a little sauce, bit. that sauce that you use them in is very traditional, very authentic to Sichuan. And in the U.S., mostly that is when you go into a, you know, an authentic Chinese restaurant and you get pork and garlic sauce. That's actually what that is. If you look in a lot of cookbooks like Fuchsia Dunlop, she refers to it as fish flavor pork. And that has nothing to do with fish, but those are the sauces that would have been put on fish in old days and now it's used on pork. But are, so. these are all with the Urjing Tao chilies? And traditionally I had, I we make with Urjing Tao When chilies. we went to Mr. Yi's in Dallas when I was a child and we got pork surf right, they weren't using fermented, preserved Urjing Tao chilies. It's really, they're actually really hard to find. The malamarket.com <laughs> is a place when they have them in stock, you can get them there. And I just actually ordered a jar from yammybuy.com and they're, oh, they're really good, but they're not easy to find. No, it is difficult to find. So that's the podcast for this week. Thanks for being a part of it. We appreciate that you're on this journey with us, and we hope that you do, in fact, find the time to cook and time to make meals for the people that you love. And please go to our Facebook group, Cooking with Bruce and Mark. Join the conversation. Share with us what's making you happy in food this week. We would love to hear that, and we would love to have you back for another episode. So subscribe, and you won't miss a single one. Cooking with Bruce and Mark.